Do you ever find yourself confused when it comes to health and fitness? Have you been searching relentlessly on the most effective ways to achieve your fitness-related goals, only to find yourself even more frustrated? Well, we've got you covered. It's time to learn from the best, shorten your learning curve, and truly understand how to achieve your goals without spinning your wheels and wasting precious time. Welcome to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. Welcome back to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. My name is Mike Perry, and I am here with the man, the myth, Brett Jones. Brett, what's going on, bud? How are you today? I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, which, if you've seen the Italian job, you know that stands for freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. So <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> you are fine. You are fine. Um, so... We already got off on a movie quote. That took about four seconds. Um, so I'm we're going to get right. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> uh, so in our last two podcasts, we uh, we talked about ballistics and we talked about grinds. And 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 we were definitely referring to, you know, the main lifts within Strong First, right? And uh, we're going to we're gonna talk about the last sort of topic here. And I don't even know what to call them, but it's, it's going to be talking about the get up the windmill and the vent press, um, we're going to talk about where that fits sort of in the entire system. But at the same time, we're going to talk about uh, some programming, some programming considerations, because, um, you know, you can get creative with this stuff. And, and there's some really cool ways to put these exercises in a training program um, that will yield sort of whatever results that you're looking for. But, um, you know, I think we need to talk about each one sort of in its silo and, and sort of the benefits of each of each modality or each exercise rather. And then we can talk about, you know, where we could sort of put those in. Um, and we'll, we'll start off with the one that everybody sort of knows about is the get up. And, you know, we've done a lot of talks on the get up and, and we've sort of, you know, ripped it apart, put it back together. And uh, we're going to continue to do so because I feel like it's one of those exercises that is absolutely an inch wide and a mile deep. So, um, you know, the get up, Brett, obviously you've done a lot of work with Gray and with Pavel and, and, and you've spent a ton of time there. But um, let me ask you this. Generally, generally speaking, if you're programming a get up, where does it fit in a training program? My favorite place to put it is right after any sort of movement prep or uh, work that you do to get ready for your training session. Um, right now with Iron Cardio, I prefer to... Uh, I always have what I call a get up plus uh, in the mix that has an arm bar, bent arm bar, bridge at the elbow. You know, sometimes I throw in a, a bent press once I get back down to half kneeling, um, kind of a, a SOS-ish sort of finish where I do the half kneeling bent press to the elbow and then shoot the the leg through. Um, so I, I make that just kind of a, hey, let's see how the body's moving on the right and the left today, how the shoulder's feeling um, and then I ladder up to the heaviest weight that I'll be using for the day. So today was a 36 kilo iron cardio session. So I did my 24 kilo get up plus, did I get up at the 32, did I get up at the 36, and then I go into my, uh, um, my iron cardio. So that's how I like to use it right now. Uh, but it's interesting because I, there was a question on the forum and this is something that I've been, uh, uh, quoted as saying, and I guess I said it uh, X number of years ago, um, that if you lock me in a room with a 16 kilo bell, I'll come out fit and strong. 
like I'll, I'll figure it out and I'll, I'll make sure that, uh, that, that one weight and which is light for me, um, I will still come out fit and strong, like the principles, the, the strategies, like you can still make that work. And I looked back through my training log because one of the reasons I came up with that comment was, um, I had, uh, for whatever reason, I've been training relatively light for a period of time, um, and doing a lot of 16 kilo get-ups and 20, 20, 24 kilo work. Um, and at an event in Budapest, uh, I was able to press the beast, uh, for three or four singles on my right side, uh, even though I hadn't been sniffing anywhere near that weight in any sort of pressing. And when I looked back at my training log and what I was doing, I was actually doing more, um, multiple rep sets on each side. So I would do five, right, five left. So that's five get-ups in a row on the right, five get-ups in a row on the left. And then I would do like, uh, you know, maybe I would ladder that down five, four, three, two. Maybe I would do another set of five on each side with a different weight. But um, I was really approaching the getup a little bit differently than I have been in the last few years, which has me curious to do it again um, and uh, do some more extended sets, uh, you know, descending ladders, three, two, one, uh, or going light and doing five on each side. Um, so I think, uh, you know, I know that's a stream of consciousness and a little little vomiting of uh, getup programming, but uh, I, I had kind of forgotten about the the more extended sets uh with the get up but again that's a that's a lighter uh weight i'm not trying to do that with a 40 kilo yeah and and you know what it granted it was a a a little bit of a ramble brett i'm not gonna lie but there was a lot of gold in that because you had thrown in a few little things that i think a lot of people are gonna miss um so Look, if you don't know what the getup is, I don't think this podcast today is going to be for you. Um, you have to know what we're talking about beforehand. But, you know, here, here's something that people don't think about is in every single step of the getup, every single position or posture, whatever you want to call it, there's options. And, and that's the thing I love about that exercise is literally you can make it. Uh, you can make it whatever you want it to be, right? There's just so many variations. You know, you can roll to elbow and you can hang out there for five seconds or you could do, you know, a modified press from that position. You can go up to the post and do the same thing. Um, as you go through all of the different postures, you can spend a little bit more time in each position. You can cycle some breathing, right? You can do presses. Um, when you get to the standing position, you can march, you can walk, you can windmill, you can bent press, you can work your way back down. So, the cool thing is with the get up, right? Once you get to that standing position, you're just standing with a kettlebell overhead. And then if you want to add some other stuff, cool. Or if you just want to go back down with the get up, you have those options. And I think uh, oftentimes people are afraid to be creative and go outside the lines a little bit. And look, if you're one of those people that like, I just want to do it this way and I don't want to get creative, cool. But, you know, creativity, and we've talked about this principle-based creativity, um, when you follow the principles of strength training, progressive overload, blah, 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 you, you, you often stumble into new ideas. And uh, that's the beauty of sort of goofing around with these postures and, and doing some different things because you never know what's going to come out of it. But uh, that, that's why I'm a huge fan of just using that at the beginning because you can have a little bit of fun with it. But at the same time, um, in my opinion, 
and I've said this before, if, if you move well, you don't have any glaring restrictions, you know, doing one or two get-ups on each side with like a, you know, a light bell, 16, 18, and then, you know, cycling up to, you know, maybe five sets of two and two or something like that, you can get a really, really good warm-up in. And if you do it in a smart fashion, you start light and you work to heavy, um, you can build skills simultaneously and you get a little bit stronger. So, you know, I think a lot of people assume that it's just an exercise for shoulder stability or it's an exercise for something else. But um, I use it as as a, a fantastic warm up because it really checks a lot of boxes and it also will expose some potential glaring asymmetries. I'm not going to say the small asymmetries you're going to see, but um, there are some positions, especially when you, you know, when you go into uh, once you're at the post position and you go into that transition into the sweep, et cetera, if you have glaring asymmetries in your shoulders or T-spine and you go into that position, well, you can feel the difference um, because I would almost use it as like a, I use it as a little bit of a movement screen for me for my shoulder mobility, because if my right side's feeling really smooth and my left side's feeling really sticky and just, man, it's harder to get into those positions, I'm going to stop and Put that bell down right and maybe do a few other things in between so you have to know your body you have to be aware of you know how things are looking from a left and a right side but there's so much value in that exercise and uh you know the the options and the different ways that you can apply the get up are uh somewhat limitless 100 percent um the the addition of the presses at each step of the get up uh, which I think should be started early in anybody's get up journey, because from a safety standpoint, when you understand how to pull that bell to the rack and safely get yourself out of any of the positions of the get up, your, your safety goes way up as you start going heavier. You know, you shouldn't fear going up to that heavier weight. Um, and because, you know, you can pull it to the rack and safely get out of whatever position you're in. Um, the other thing I would note is, um, the getup is one of those exercises that I think, um, the parts are greater than the whole. And so people for, for whatever reason, people think, well, you know, I, I don't think I can do the full getup. So I just not going to do getups. What do you mean? Getting to the elbow is one of the most important parts of the getup. It's where a lot of the benefit is, um, doing getups where you go to the half, the, to the hand, or you go to half kneeling and back down. Those are super valuable ways to uh, to treat the getup. If and you know people, well, I want to start from the top. Okay, yeah. <laughs> go the for it. Yeah, the getup yeah. police aren't showing up. Exactly. Um, you know, it it is really you know what 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 do you need from it, and um, and you know is it that just check in before you get started into your session of the day? Is it oh is it uh, something where you're rebuilding some shoulder stability coordination uh, and positioning. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that can happen there. So everything from using very heavy weight and, and progressing towards something like Sinister to using a lightweight and doing multiple reps in a row where you're really building um, a little more endurance uh, and uh, working the stabilizers just a, a little bit more than a single rep um, you know, there's that everything in between in that spectrum. So the get up is uh, a mini splendored thing. It's a many. It's it's like a it's like a pumpkin spice feeling in a way. It is. It's it. It gives you all the multitude of feelings that you can get from pumpkin spice. 
Just saying. Just so we should we should definitely fill Pavel on in that. He's going to be very excited about that. Um, so so look, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up something a little controversial here because uh, a lot of people think it's really dumb to do heavy getups. Don't do it. Don't do it. No controversy. I don't want any controversy. Yeah, and and look here here's the look here's what it boils down to. Um, if you want to do heavy getups, you should do heavy getups. If you think heavy getups are dumb don't do heavy getups. Like I'm not going to try to convince you and waste my time on what you should or shouldn't do. If you want to do them, just, you know, work with a coach or make sure you know what you're doing so you can do it in a smart and efficient way. Take your time. Don't just grab the heaviest thing, the heaviest bell in the gym and go, let's see how this goes. That's just a really bad idea. But if you are going to work up towards a heavy getup, you know, have someone spot you or just make sure that you're doing it in a smart and efficient way. So I think with with heavy getups, people like it's really bad for you or you shouldn't do that. I think it's dumb. Cool. That's if that's what you think, that's awesome. And there's a lot of, you know, big names out there that think it's a, a dumb idea. And that's OK. And I respect that. But you know what? I've done fairly heavy getups and I've never had an issue. I've never had an injury doing getups in my entire life. Um, no, I've done a lot of other dumb things, but I've never gotten injured doing getups because I treat it in a way that I start light and I move towards heavy. I don't just start heavy. And I think that's one of the biggest issues people sort of do is they, they go right into it or they haven't spent a lot of time doing what you said, do five in a row with the 16. Like that's a fantastic way to, to build competency, endurance. You have to pay attention because when you're holding onto that kettlebell for gosh, four or five minutes straight, when you're doing five getups or however long it takes, maybe a little bit less, it's going gonna, it's gonna to challenge your body, right? And you're going to have to move under slight fatigue. But look, at the end of the day, that's, that's just part of exercise. You're gonna, there's going to be times where you're going to have to move under slight fatigue. I hate to say it. We're not going to be fresh as a daisy on everything that we do. But I think the big part of get-ups in general is how you program. And, and one of the things that you said, Brett, is something that I literally told one of my students the other day, several in a row on each side. And that's what I said. I said, look, one day a week, and I'm going to just talk about the program that I gave him. We, we're starting him off with like a 10 or a 12. And this is, he's a grappler, great guy, great coordination. But I'm like, look, on this day, I want you to do three in a row on the right, three in a row on the left with a 10, rest a few minutes, do two to three sets. And then next week, we're going to go, uh, we're going to do like two sets of three and then one set of four. And then we're just going to sort of get creative and la ladder it up in a way that we're going to add a, a little bit of volume over time, but we're using the same kettlebell. So doing multiple get-ups in a row with a light weight has a ton of value. Agreed. It's something that I've gotten away from and something that I'll be uh, experimenting with. And uh, I think that's something that would pair really well with a swing day. You know, kettlebell axes out and people are you know really getting into doing their you know, four at the top of the minute or six at the top of the minute, hand-to-hand -hand swings. Um, we can talk about that on a, on a future podcast. Um, but I, I think that, uh, you know, that's a good day to experiment around with uh, some lighter, higher rep and uh, never beyond five reps. I mean, anything over three reps is cardio. So five is just crazy. And uh, why would you do six in a row? That's just nuts. That would be double uh, cardio. Double cardio. And uh, we all know what happens when that happens triple Yahtzee. Right. Yeah. Right. And yeah, we don't want that to happen. That's a Marvel movie quote, by the way. So, um, not that there's any prizes, but, uh, there's a prize for whoever identifies, uh, which, uh, move, which Marvel movie that, uh, you'll, comes get, the from. Prize. 
at the Iron Cardio Workshop in a few weeks here up at SOS. Um, exactly. With only three spots left, by the way. Uh, so better <laughs> ding, hurry up. Ding, ding. Hurry up. Register. Da, 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 da. So anyway, so yeah, with the GetUp, I, I think that uh, we've, boy, have we been on a journey with the GetUp over the last 20 years uh, from get up any way you see fit to, oh, you your hips dropped an eighth of an inch as you transitioned through that position. So now you need uh, to go down and wait. Uh there's a middle range where, um, you know, there's lots of possibilities with the getup. And my whole point, so to touch on heavy getups for just a second, if I'm trying to press the beast, my personal opinion, I should be able to do a getup with the beast. Because um, if I can't stabilize it from a, a static position standpoint, how do you heck, how the heck do you think I'm going to press it? Like, and that's just me. Yeah. Are there people that have never done a getup with a beast? who have successfully pressed the beast. Yes. Sure. How healthy are their shoulders? Are they still pressing the beast? Um, I think there's a there's a deeper conversation to be had there, and we'll, we'll do a future podcast on stabilization of gains and, and how you create progress over, over time um, rather than just having short-term success. Short-term success is great, but uh, I want to be doing this when I'm 70, and uh, that's not as far now that i sit here and think about it that's not as far away as it used to be uh so yeah anyway i'm gonna go sit in a corner and rock back and forth for five minutes i'll be back okay speaking of uh short-term success no um look short short-term success is easy like literally anything works and we've talked about that but long-term success is is a different animal and and again we will talk about that in, in another podcast but you know it, it's cool because you know, we we're talking about the getup, and and I've we've given one example on uh, how to program a getup. You know, doing multiple reps in a row, have a little bit of time under tension, and you can take that approach to the windmill, and you can take that approach to the bent press. Now it is different; it's very very different, but the approach being the same, you can do a little bit more volume, spend a little bit more time under tension with the lighter belt. There's value in that. There's value That's in doing five to six windmills in a row with a lighter belt to find that groove. And, and let's not even get started about, you know, sort of asymmetrical hinging when you, when you windmill and you have to sit into one hip versus the other, because that's a whole nother screen and another way to look at movement and skill, because man, I've seen so many people that can move one way and they cannot move the other. And, and I would actually say that the get up is a little bit more forgiving and the fact that people can do a right side and a left side, but when you start training the windmill and you start training the bent press, it's a lot more coordination, in my own opinion, than the getup because that hinge pattern, that sort of split, sort of asymmetrical loading where you're loading one hip slightly more and then you're adding in some T-spine rotation and some load. In my opinion, there's a lot more that goes into it, but uh, there is value in doing lighter weight and having a little bit more time under tension with all of those lifts. So for the windmill in particular, a uh, couple of things. There are half kneeling variations of the windmill that are super useful uh, for opening up the hips. Uh, work with an SFG2 instructor. You know, uh, we're not going to have time to get into all the details of those. Although if there's demand for it, we could dedicate a podcast towards it. Um, but there's half kneeling variations on the windmill that I think are super useful. The low windmill. Having that bell on the ground to start, not overhead, is a forgotten step, uh, and it really helps you find your groove on the way down. Uh, once you go overhead, there's there's a lot to be learned there. 
I would say the biggest mistake I see in the windmill is too many people turn it into either a side bend or um, kind of a hamstring stretch. They're sitting, they're sitting way too far back into it and they keep trying to push back and find a hamstring stretch. I don't want a hamstring stretch out of my windmill. I want to find a little bit of a hip stretch, uh, piriformacy uh, sort of uh, stretch. And I think one of the unique things, uh, and I'll speak to my hips and uh, structure because uh, I have the high alpha angle, you know, uh, cam style FAI, um, it's impingement on the front hip that gets me because yeah. of the way you're operating on that 45 degree angle and you're dropping the pelvis on that front leg, you run out of room a lot quicker uh, on that front leg. So you have to be careful with how you're adjusting your stance. The 45, 45 degree position of the feet to start the windmill is a starting point. It's not the end point. It's uh, it's not. And it's just like talking about squatting or hinging and using the lock and rock and, you know, adjusting your feet uh, to your individual stance. Um, you might start at 45, 45 and then realize you need a little more outturn on that front foot. You're 55, 65 degrees. You might need a less outturn on uh, or in turn. <laughs> uh, on the the stand the the rear leg, so as you experiment with it, you'll start finding your own individual uh, stance. Uh, how do you program it? Uh, the windmill to me, uh, it's a spice, not a main dish. Uh, so I'm going to do three to five reps for one to three sets as part of uh, almost similar to the getup, and where I'll plug the getup uh, the windmill in. For a lot of folks who are traveling and maybe say, let's, they're doing a beach workout and they don't want to get sandy and get uh, sand in their eyes and blah, 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 or sand down their pants, uh, which is always uncomfortable. Um, windmills, do a couple low windmills, do a couple high windmills, you know, use that as a way to kind of get that right left check and uh, finish up the uh, quote movement prep of a, uh, of a first session. Yeah, the low windmill. That's that's how you taught me back in the day. Uh, you taught me to start with the low windmill. And um, it's such a great movement because it does really teach you how to sort of load one one hip a little bit more, right? Because in the windmill, it's it's uh when you go into that hinge, it's not a it's when you're looking at like a right-sided windmill in, in the sense of you know, you're sitting into your right hip, it's not a 50-50 weight distribution. A lot of people think there should be even weight on on both legs but when you're doing your windmill the rear leg should be taking the majority of the load so you can sit into that hip i'm not saying you lift the right leg up or the the front leg up but there is a sort of a weight distribution and when you're teaching the windmill it's important to to have that conversation with your clients because again a lot of the times they're trying to chase this this big hamstring stretch and they're trying to feel it sometimes on both sides and 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 like you said if you're trying to feel something in a compound movement well, then it, it really takes the point out of doing a compound movement, right? Because if, you know, if you're doing uh, overhand grip pull-ups and you're like, what is this working? You know, if you do a bunch of them, you will feel your lats. But at first, you know, it's not a lat pull-down. There's, there's a lot more that goes into it. So I, I think the big thing is just spending a little bit of time. And if you are teaching it, understand that you have to educate your students and clients on the weight shift and the weight distribution because it's very, very important. And also the group and, and, and safety of the shoulder, et cetera, because there's a lot that goes in there. And look, you can still train the hell out of the windmill with a bum shoulder. And that's the low windmill. You can groove that pattern. You can learn how to sit into that hip. 
and, and honestly, you know, I, I, to be honest, Brett, I forgot about just using the low windmill because I haven't used it in so long, but I would argue that that's probably the better place to start before you even think about going overhead. So, um, but you, you kind of nailed it though, going back to the programming, you know, do, you know, one to three sets, two to five reps, three to five reps. And that seems to do, you know, do a pretty decent job. And yes, you can get into wave loading with all that stuff, but um, you'll notice there's sort of a common theme with this is, uh, is the sets and reps with, with all of these things can, you know, kind of have like a sweet spot, right? You're not going to do 10 get-ups in a row because that's just way too long and you're not going to do 10 windmills in a row, right? So there are certain rep ranges that fit specific exercises a little bit better than others. So, um, and, and, and going into the bent press, right? In my opinion, I teach get up, windmill, bent press last. That's the order that I like to teach it in. Thoughts on that, Brett? Definitely. And um, I was uh, going to do another shout out again to the SFG2 curriculum and uh, SFG2 instructors. Uh, the half kneeling bent press progression is money, money, money. Yeah. Um, it is the best way to teach somebody how to bent press, in my opinion. Um, and I think that uh, <clears throat> when you try to start standing and you try to start understanding the bent press, it's it's a really difficult conversation. Take somebody into half kneeling, build it one piece at a time, um, do your half kneeling windmill to the elbow, learn the give and take press so you actually understand how to press yourself underneath the weight. Learn the half kneeling bent press. Half kneeling bent press is my favorite position to bent press from. Um, now, part of that's my hips and the fact that uh, we talked about it on the windmill, uh, the way you kind of sit into that front hip differently because of the way you're turned and dropping the pelvis on that front hip. Uh, that magnifies in the bent press because now you're actually shifting load to the front leg um, because of the, the, ideally, if you're bent pressing, you're bent pressing heavy enough. Uh, to where you're, you're, you know, you're under load. Um, and, you know, traditionally uh, the same way with a barbell, you would military press till you couldn't. So you started push pressing till you couldn't. So you started jerking the barbell. Well, the uh, easy, the, um, the, the, <laughs> the, with the bent press, it was kind of the same conversation. It was and especially for a single arm lift. It was you pressed till you couldn't, and then you push pressed, or uh, you started to side press, which is an exercise you're going to start seeing in the curriculum, I think, pretty soon. So you would military press till you couldn't, then you would side press, and then you would bent press. And so there was a natural progression uh, for uh, within those lifts. And so the bent press fills that gap of this is not a weight that I could military press. I have to push myself underneath of it because I can't press it overhead. But it ends up overhead because I put myself underneath of it. So there's some uniqueness to the bent press. And because it is a unique lift with a, a lot of moving parts um, and the need to stabilize through a, a, some different ranges of motion, it is a low rep lift, uh, one to three reps uh, at a time uh, for, depending on how you want to use it, um, for three to five three to five sets. Yeah, absolutely. And there's kind of two things I want to uh, sort of discuss on the bent presses. Um, it's one of those exercises that if you go too light to quote unquote, get perfect form, you'll never get it because you need to use enough load to give you enough feedback. And 
there are a ton of people out there that think I need to just go really light until I get my technique and then I'll continue on from there. Well, look, if I have a fairly strong individual that knows that has good body control, I'm not going to give them a six kilo kettlebell and ask them to bent press it. I'm not going to give them a six kilo kettlebell and ask them to deadlift it because the weight selection is not going to give them enough feedback to do anything with it. It's essentially a waste of time. So the weight is also a fantastic teacher. Everyone thinks we need to coach, coach, coach. But look, if you get the right weight paired up with the right individual at the right time, that might be one of the best teachers out there because the weight will teach you about movement and about load and about tension. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying go grab a heavy ass weight and do dumb things and say, it's going to teach me. It will teach you. It will teach you how to jack your shoulder up. So again, those are certain exercises that weight selection and sometimes going heavier is exactly what you need to do, which is, which is pretty counterintuitive to what we've always sort of traditionally done uh, in the health and sort of fitness industry, because everyone thinks start super light and then work towards heavy. But a lot of the times that doesn't work. So that was one thing I wanted to talk about with the bent press. And you had mentioned another thing, the side press. Look, I, I, I've been training with kettlebells, gosh, for a really, really long time. You have too. I've seen a lot of side presses, but they weren't deliberate side presses. They were, pardon my French, they were shitty overhead presses that turned into side presses and everyone's like, oh, that was good. No, that was a side press. Like there's a difference. And, uh, and I think that's important to distinguish because a lot of people are like, well, I, I you know, I, that wasn't a side press. I'm like, well, that, that's a side press. I've seen some people do a lot of things. They call it an overhead press, but it's a side press, right? So, um, just, just remember, if you are going to side press, side press with intent. Don't side press because you chose a weight that was too heavy and it turned into a side press by accident. Yep. And I think by codifying it and teaching it and structuring it, we can really help people understand the difference between a military press gone wrong and actually doing a side press and uh, something that can lead to um, a greater proficiency in in um, in both lifts, the military press and the bent press. Yeah, and and here's the scoop, guys. Like we're we're talking about, you know, with all of the stuff specifically in the SF, you know, the Strong First curriculum, we're not talking about a bazillion different exercises. We're talking about a handful of impactful exercises that are learned in a systematic fashion, like Brett said. So, like there is a rhyme and reason to everything. That, that Strong First does, right? It's a systematic approach. And we're always trying to refine that, right? We're always trying to find better ways to teach the basics. And, and I love using the term, try to be the best at getting better, right? And that's something that I think we're always gonna do. We're always gonna learn a little bit more about certain exercises. And, and, and I always come back to the inch wide, mile deep uh, sort of quote, because I mean, look, we, we, you and I could probably spend a whole weekend on get-ups. And now no one would come because it would be a little bit of an overkill, but there's, there's so much to gain and so much to gather through trial and error through, you know, spending time with other coaches that have great ideas. So, um, you know, it's a fun journey because sometimes you have to go back and, and reinvent it again and start from the beginning and you're going to learn so much more. So just when you think you're, you know, you're, you're, the best in the world and you think you're such a badass start fresh again start brand new and and put your ego aside and you're going to learn a lot 100 
And I think these lifts are unique opportunities to uh, have loaded mobility built into the program uh, to build shoulder stability. Uh, um, yeah, there's there's just a lot. These these three lifts encompass um, a lot of opportunity, um, and but you only need a little bit of it. Exactly. Yeah, you put too much salt on a steak, you're going to ruin the steak, right? So. You know, and, and I think that's one of the things people need to understand about those specific lifts. I love the idea of the main dish in the in the spices because these are these are spices, right? These are absolutely spices. So, um, you know, there's some these are some incredible exercises. But um, if you are going to dive into the world of doing a bunch of get ups, windmills, and bent presses, please understand. Please understand that these are exercises that require a great amount of skill before you start to reap the, the physiological benefits of trying to get some adaptations of shoulder stability and all those other things, right? When you're learning a new skill, you're learning. It's time to mess up. It's time to explore. It's time to feel it out. And that's the beauty of these things. So kettlebell training is skill. You need a skill. You need to acquire skill to do these things correctly. So look, if you want to go down that path and learn about kettlebells, it is a journey that is going to never end because Skill acquisition is a journey. You'd never just get there and go, I am the kettlebell man. Like it doesn't happen. It's a constant refinement of skill. And that's why I love it because it requires thought and coordination, not just mindless movement. And that's the beauty of, of all of those lifts. 100%. Um, Dr. Ed Thomas always said, never went to the gym to work out. I went to the gym to learn. These are great you know opportunities what? to learn. Gosh, that... It's a beautiful Mic way drop. to put it, man. Mic drop, boom. But, uh, you know, it's <laughs> as we sort of wind this thing down, guys. Uh, here's what it boils down to. Um, if you want to get good at anything, you need to pay attention. You need to be super consistent. And you need to constantly be trying to find a better way. Trim the fat. And uh, if you keep on doing that, you're going to get pretty good at doing it. But you're also going to get really good at coaching it. And look, I don't get paid to exercise yet. I'm hoping I will soon. That, that's a joke because it won't happen. But I do get paid to educate other people and help them in their fitness journey. And as a, you know, as a kettlebell instructor, um, my goal is to coach and educate my clients and students so they can achieve their goals in a, in a safe and repeatable fashion. And, and that's, that's what I love to do. And that's why I love these three lifts because um, – they aren't something that people dive into, but that's why I like them because I, I have zero interest in being the mini band walk champion or the glute bridge champion of the world, right? Uh, not bad exercises, but if I'm going to spend time learning, I want something that's going to challenge me. And, and I want something that's going to force me to be a little bit better each time I perform that move. 100%. So, I love it. But, well, anyways, Brett, as always, it's, uh, it's good to hear from you. Uh, friends. November 19th, we've got three spots left, okay? And and maybe by the time this podcast comes out, um, uh, we won't have Zero. any left. So hopefully that's the case. And uh, if you snooze, you lose because uh, Brett and I are pretty freaking awesome. And uh, we're really cool. No, I'm just kidding. Um, honestly, we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to have a lot of fun. And uh, it's always good to see familiar faces. And it's always good to, uh, you know, see some old friends. So uh, Brett... As always, buddy, it's always good to uh, to hear your 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 nuggets of wisdom, my friend. And uh, 
to our, our listeners, thank you so much. We truly appreciate it. And uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, guys, we got to get some more reviews up there. So why don't you do us a favor and give us some five-star reviews on Apple and all the other ones that I never listened to. And uh, we can go from there. So we appreciate you guys. Uh, and we'll see you on the next episode. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, we're going to ask you for a favor. Please leave us some positive reviews. Be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thanks again for listening to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast.